Good morning, New Hope. Give him one button to push, and he can't even do that right. I'm Gary Post. I'm the care pastor, if you don't happen to know me, and I'll be sharing with you this morning. Mark asked me to remind you or to let you know that uh, next weekend, we're going to be showing a, a video, a virtual walkthrough of the, uh, the new building, and the planning crew and the architects and others have been working on that. Uh, for some time, and uh, if you've ever seen a virtual walkthrough like that, uh, if you looked at a piece of real estate, for example, uh, it's very interesting. So, uh, and we'll be, uh, Michael mentioned a vote coming up on May 5. We'll be sharing with you a lot more information in the uh, next couple weeks over uh, what that building looks like, uh, what the financial arrangements are, all of that stuff. You'll be fully informed before that vote on, on May 5. Uh, but this morning, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, forgiveness, and um, so as an exercise in forgiveness, I'm going to ask yours for making the font so small on that uh, study guide. I, you know, I, I, my goal is always, I, I like you to be able to walk out of here with all the quotes and, and all the uh, scripture that we talk about in one place, and so you can reference it later and don't have to scribble, but it is a, it is a small font. Now, it could have been an eight. It's a nine. So, you know, th- there's a positive here, too but I'm going to ask your forgiveness for uh, making that quite so busy. It would never pass um, muster with Darla Prether, our graphics person. I know that. Now, let's pray before we get started. Dear Father, I thank you for these folks, for their, for their desire to know you and to walk more closely with you. And Lord, we know that nothing of any consequence will happen here apart from your Holy Spirit's power. So we, we ask you to empower this time and to open our hearts uh, to the teaching of your word and to... Uh, uh, to make us more like Christ uh, during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, much of my work here as a care pastor has to do with, uh, I spend most of my time counseling with people, individuals, uh, couples, um, much, of the, much of the week. And, uh, and, and uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is, is relevant to all kinds of relationships, not just marriage relationships. I'll talk about those too, but... but uh, uh, for, the issue of forgiveness is relevant to, to all the people that we relate to in, in all the settings that we relate to them, in, in our workplace, in our families, our extended families, in church, uh, you name it, um, even out on the freeway, it, uh, it uh, matters as well. It, it figures into that. But many of the, when I interact with couples, uh, you know, typically people don't call for an appointment when things are going well. Uh, they, they, nobody calls me to tell me, uh, just how delightful it is to be married to this. They call me to, to say, hey, we're having some problems and could you help us with that? And I'm always ha- happy to do that. But many, many couples that I meet with uh, come to me when they're locked in uh, conflict, uh, many times blaming each other for the problems that they're experiencing and uh, emotionally distant from each other in, in many cases. And, and it, in many of the, the situations that I see, um, uh, part of what's at the root of, of some of that conflict and some of those kinds of issues is, uh, is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is at the root of many of the relationship problems that we have, whether it's in a marriage or, or whether it's in another kind of a, a relationship. John Gottman, one of the uh, a preeminent marriage and family researchers uh, over the past couple decades in this country has said that uh, one indicator of uh, a positive, a healthy marriage relationship is that you have uh, a ratio of five to one. That is five 
positive uh, interactions for every one negative interaction. So you're going to have to do the math in your own relationship and, and see whether or not that's the case. Uh, but he says that's kind of a minimum threshold for determining whether or not you have a healthy, uh, long-term, sustainable marriage. But unresolved anger and resentment can result in what Gottman would call a negative reciprocity. That is this negative cycle of uh, one person uh, saying something hurtful and then the next person, the other person saying something more hurtful and then the, the, the first person tries to top that and pretty soon you're in this negative spiral, this negative spiral of uh, a destructive conflict in that relationship, negative reciprocity. It erodes the underlying emotional intimacy that is that sense of connectedness that we want to have in our relationships. And that's essential for a long-term satisfying marriage relationship. Uh, the Christian psychologist Everett Worthington uh, says this about the destructive power of unforgiveness. He says, unforgiveness, which is composed of resentment, bitterness, hate, hostility, anger, and fear, is a costly fallout that poisons people as surely as the nuclear radiation after a bomb blast. And Lewis Smedes puts it more succinctly. He says, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Uh, I, I, I put uh, Augustine in parentheses there because as I, as I researched the source of that quote, uh, actually it, it went back as far as Augustine. So I don't, I don't think it was original with Smedes, the theologian. Now in contrast to that, uh, Dr. Brad Wilcox is a researcher who uh, heads up the Marriage Project, something that's called the Marriage Project at University of, of uh, Virginia, and he studies what makes marriages work. In other words, what makes for long-term, healthy, satisfying marriage relationships. And he's quoted in uh, one of the books that I have in back. And incidentally, I have a few books in back uh, that are for sale uh, after this. Uh, one of Dr. Everett Worthington's books on forgiveness, uh, Surprising Secrets, and a couple of smaller pamphlets. Um, that are relevant to what we're talking about today, if you're interested in that. And, and uh, trust me, I will get back there to sell you those books uh, after the service, if you're interested in that. But Brad Wilcox uh, was quoted as, as uh, Shanti Feldhahn quoted uh, Wilcox's work in this way. She said, on, her, on his survey, Dr. Wilcox had asked people what they did for their spouses, not what their spouses did for them, in four simple areas of what he called daily generosity performing small acts of kindness, expressing admiration, expressing respect, and forgiving their spouses for something. And, and in looking at the new analysis, we discovered that the vast majority of those who had high daily generosity were very happy in their marriages, whereas the vast majority of those who weren't as generous were, were struggling in theirs. And, and I noticed the same thing in interacting with couples that in... That, that forgiveness and grace, forgiveness and grace are, are, are a thread that runs through uh, healthy, satisfying, long-term relationships. It, it is uh, easy to ask for and receive forgiveness in those kinds of relationships. On the other hand, unchecked unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment can ultimately destroy relationships. I think we all know that intuitively. Uh, again, uh, Gottman, going back to him, he says there, there are some warning signs of a relationship in trouble. He calls them the, the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse. And, and he says these are, the, these are some red flags, if you will, of, uh, of relationships that are, that are in trouble. 
First of all, criticism, attacking our partner's character to make us right and them wrong. And what it sounds like is this. It's not just that you didn't pick up your socks. It's that you're a bad person because you didn't pick up your socks. You're so irresponsible. You never, you, you know, you always, you never. Um, what are you, were you raised by wolves? Or, or what, is, what is wrong with you anyway? That's another thing we always do. What is wrong with you anyway? And you see, it's an attack on the person rather than just a complaint about the behavior. Uh, would you please pick up your socks? And then contempt, treating our partner with disdain, insults, emotional abuse, uh, name-calling, uh, that, that angry, hurtful uh, dialogue which uh, does damage. I always uh, tell couples, you know, words are weapons, and they wound. You can apologize all you want, but uh, the damage may still be done. And, and so uh, we, we have to be careful about what, what comes out of our mouths. Honesty is not saying whatever is... Uh, not, honesty is not uh, letting whatever is in your head come out your mouth. That's not honesty. Sometimes that's just being mean, and, and it does damage in the relationship. Uh, defensiveness, rationalizing our own behavior and, and blaming our partner uh, for problems. And then stonewalling. This is, this is one that's very common. Uh, using silence and distance and emotional withdrawal as a weapon in, in our relationships. Now, it's true that we as uh, people in general and then partners in relationships, too. It's true that uh, we routinely do things in relationships with other human beings that, um, that irritate, annoy, and, and, and hurt each other. That, that happens in real time from day to day, and it creates the opportunity for forgiveness in those relationships. But sometimes, partners also carry with them into a relationship the pain and unforgiveness from childhood trauma and, and abuse in some cases, uh, and they carry that into their current relationship and then project, sometimes unknowingly, project that anger onto their partner. Uh, Christian marriage therapists uh, Mylan and Kay Yurkovich, authors of How We Love, point out that many of the problems in our marriage didn't begin in our marriage. Many of the problems in our marriage didn't begin in our marriage. We all bring attitudes and expectations and behaviors into our relationships from our families of origin. Some of those are helpful, especially if folks have had great role models as parents. Um, Your parents have modeled uh, ways of handling disagreements, for example, or they've modeled uh, asking for and receiving forgiveness. But more and more in the couples I interact with, that's not the case. None of us had perfect parents, but, but I see uh, more and more dysfunction, it seems, in, in terms of families of origin. And, and many couples will, will report that one partner or both partners, in some cases, had parents who were absent, they were addicted, or they were uh, abusive in some way. And, and so they weren't good role models. And so uh, the folks that are coming into a, a, a new relationship don't have the tools uh, that they need uh, sometimes. Uh, so one of the attitudes, one of the, one of the behaviors that's dysfunctional or destructive is the inability or the unwillingness to forgive, to ask for and, and receive forgiveness in the relationship. And it, and it can, can trap a, a couple in a cycle of conflict and angry and, and bitter and, and resentful uh, unforgiveness. Uh, I'll, I'll usually ask couples at some point or another, you know, um, when I, is there freedom in your relationship to ask for and receive forgiveness? Is that common for you? Is that a language you speak in your relationship? And, and many times, 
uh, folks will say, well, no, not really. And then I'll ask them about their family of origin. Did, did you see your mom and dad, um, you know, hurt each other? And then stop and ask for forgiveness. Ask for and receive forgiveness. Was that part of the language you spoke in your family of origin? In many cases, no, it was not. And, and so uh, it, it's one of those things that, uh, that we have to learn. I, I have to help them with tools for that. Uh, whether it's a response to current uh, conflict or past childhood fa- pain, harboring anger and unforgiveness uh, in a relationship has a toxic effect on the long her- long-term health and, and the happiness in that relationship. Not just marriages, but other relationships as well. I typically talk to folks who who haven't uh, spoken to another family member in sometimes decades uh, because of some tiff that happened uh, many years ago that nobody can remember anymore. Unforgiveness is also at the root of many of our health problems. Uh, Dr. Karen Swartz, a psychiatrist who heads up the Mood Disorders Clinic at Johns Hopkins uh, Hospital, says this. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you in a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels in sleep, and reducing pain blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Folks, the root of some of our physical problems, not all, but some of our physical problems, uh, the root is a spiritual problem, and that is harboring unforgiveness in our hearts that's harming our health. Unforgiveness can also contribute to personality and and mood disorders like uh, anxiety and depression because what it causes us to do many times is ruminate, that is, turn over negative thoughts in our minds again and again until they become a reality for us, until they become a worst-case scenario, and we live out that reality. And it it sucks the joy out of our lives. It robs us of the joy and peace that God intends for us, and it disrupts our relationships. While Jesus placed a high value on forgiveness, uh, I think he knows it's not only right, it's not only what's pleasing to God, Uh, but it it is also what's good for us. It's good for what ails us. And we're going to look at a story that Jesus told his disciples about the importance of forgiveness. And uh, I want to begin with Peter's question because uh, Peter's question really triggered Jesus' story. And and so Peter came up to Jesus in uh, Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Uh, Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven times. You see, in, in, uh, in Judaism, the rabbis taught that if you forgave somebody, if somebody repented, came to you, asked for forgiveness, and you forgave them three times, that uh, that was thought to evidence an appropriate level of forgiveness on your, your part. And so Peter thought, well, I'll get ahead of Jesus on this one. Uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll suggest seven. I'll propose seven times. He thought he was being overly generous. He was going the extra mile. But Jesus countered with, no, it's, it's 70 times seven. Uh, right away, you, know, you and I calculate, well, that's 490. So on 491, I can let him have it, right? Well, no, that's not the point. The, the, the point is that the forgiveness is supposed to be un- unlimited. 
that God's grace is unlimited to us, right? And, and we're supposed to reflect that same grace. So uh, that was Jesus' point. It's, it's an unlimited forgiveness. Let's read the rest of the story in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. The parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Sorry, I already read that. Um, 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And, you, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Does it seem like God is serious about this business of forgiving each other? I think so. Uh, some of the things that, uh, that, that uh, jumped out at me when I looked at this story was, first of all, in, that, that our, our debt because of our sin against a holy God is, is beyond our ability to pay. You, you can't get there from here. We can't do that in our own effort. Um, in the context of the story, uh, you know, a talent was a, a unit of money. It was a large unit of money. And a, and a talent was an equivalent... In, in, uh, in that day, a, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years of a laborer's wages. And, and so uh, a laborer was paid a, about a denarius a day. So a talent was, was equivalent to 20 years of that laborer's wage. And 10,000 talents would be, some commentators have suggested, about $6 billion. So it, it would be an insurmountable debt, which is the whole point of the story, Right? that it's an insurmountable debt that the servant had to pay and was forgiven for. Paul tells us in the same way that, that all have, in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we're in the same position as this servant. Uh, we're facing an insurmountable debt that we can't pay on our own, in our own effort. The, the second lesson I, I pulled from this story is that in order to receive God's forgiveness, we have to ask for it. There has to be a prayer of, of faith. We see in verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And notice that the servant's plea triggered the master's gracious response, didn't it? We, we all have to come to faith in Jesus Christ at some point and we do it in the same way. We do, we do it by uh, praying and asking for forgiveness. Lord, release me from this debt that I can't pay. 
And so the prayer of faith sounds like something like this. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I am unable to meet your standard of holiness in my own effort. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die and pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life in heaven. And I ask in faith to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and that you'll teach me how to live in a way that honors you. You see, in, uh, instead of giving us what, I, what we deserved, uh, God forgave us the debt that we could never repay. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that gracious gift from the Master, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in, in, uh, in this story, the death that we're talking about, the wages of sin is death. In this story, uh, within this context, that the wages of sin would be the sale of the servant and his family and, and the probable permanent sep- separation of those family members and, and the destruction of that family. But in the same way, in, in our world, uh, the rejection of God's grace results in, in spiritual death and, and separation from God. But when we receive God's grace and forgiveness, um, when notice that the, the servant's response changes the outcome of the story. When we receive God's grace and forgiveness, uh, the master not only forgives us our debt, but changes our standing. We're no longer debtors and servants, uh, but we're people who are free. We're at peace and we're adopted into God's family. The Apostle Paul reminds us that, uh, therefore, in Romans 5, 1, therefore, uh, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the debt is squared uh, with the master. And in fact, it says in John 1:12 that as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the, the right to become the children of God. So we go from servants and debtors to being children of God and, and heirs to a vast, uh, vast riches in, in heaven and, and eternal life. So how we respond to the master in, in, that, in that sense uh, changes the ending of the story. Christ paid the penalty that, that allowed God to, to grant us the forgiveness of our debt. We read in uh, Titus 3, 5 through 7, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, it wasn't a do-it-yourself project, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, that is, declared not guilty, that is, declared debt-free, being justified by his grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Jesus paid the penalty so that God could forgive us that debt. And, and then in, uh, in fifth place here, or the fifth lesson that I pulled out was that the, the master's expectation is that we will all, you and I will all reflect that same grace and forgiveness to other people around us. You notice from the story, the master had the clear expectation that the servant who had been granted grace and forgiveness would demonstrate that same grace and forgiveness. Verse 32, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. His failure to forgive changed the end of the story, didn't it? Uh, unforgiveness not only damages our human relationships, but it separates us from God. Notice how the relationship with a fellow servant was broken, but also the relationship with the master was broken. He was separated from his master. 
in verse 34, in, in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So God is serious about forgiveness. Uh, that business about forgiving uh, each other from the heart, that has always intrigued me. I notice that when, uh, when I work with couples, sometimes when, when they uh, first come to me, they're sometimes uh, distant from each other. Relationship is sometimes characterized by uh, angry conflict and, and unforgiveness. And when I ask them, uh, how's your relationship, how's your individual relationship with God going? How's your quiet time going? Uh, what are you doing to cultivate your relationship with God? The answer is almost always not very well. It's not going great. Um, my point is that unforgiveness, anger, and resentment directed toward each other also creates distance between us and God. It's not that God is punishing us for unforgiveness. There's no condemnation for those folks who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. It's not that God's punishing us for unforgiveness, but unforgiveness represents a pattern of sin that is disobedience that undermines the intimacy of our relationship with God in the same way that other ongoing patterns of disobedience undermine our relationship with God. God's desire is that we, we uh, reflect His grace and forgiveness by displaying Christ's character to other people. You know, um, I always tell folks that the, the uh, Bible tells us about who God is and how He likes to work, how He desires to work in our lives. And we see in Nehemiah uh, 9.17, uh, th this is who God is. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Well, God wants us to reflect those same character attributes in, in our relationships with other people. So forgiveness is, is one part of what Christ's character looks like in us when it's lived out. Uh, Paul says, and I often share this passage with, uh, with couples and individuals as well, uh, with, with regard to the way we, re re we relate to other people. Out of Colossians 3, um, Paul says, uh, this is a picture of what it's supposed to look like, our relationships with each other. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self uh, get this, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins a work in our hearts to change us into the, the image so that we can demonstrate the character of Jesus Christ from day to day in our relationships with other people. He desires to make us distinctive in that way. And so it's a work of God in our hearts. He, he allows us to evidence Christ's character. So he says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, here it comes. This is what we're supposed to look like in our relationships with each other. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. That means putting up with all those silly idiosyncrasies and uh, annoying attributes that all of us have, right? Uh, putting up with that stuff. Uh, forgiving each other for that. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in, in perfect harmony. You see that forgiveness there is only one aspect of the character of Christ that, that God is calling us uh, 
to reflect in, in our relationships with other people. He, he expects us to reflect that kind of obedience um, in, in all of our relationships, the character of Christ. And, and he says, uh, you're not on your own to do that. You, um, that's not a do-it-yourself project. The Holy Spirit uh, will help you with that. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, um, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Christ lives within us. He will produce that Christ-like character in us if we yield to the Holy Spirit and, allows him to, and allow him to do that. Well, what is, uh, in, a, in a practical way, what does forgiveness uh, look like? First of all, what it's not. Forgiveness is not forgetting condoning, perpetuating injustice or evil behavior. It doesn't make whatever was done to you all right or okay. It doesn't give license to an abuser to continue to abuse a person. Uh, forgiveness is not always instantaneous, especially with deep wounds like uh, infidelity, which is a fundamental betrayal, uh, betrayal of trust. Especially with deep wounds, it's a process. Sometimes that forgiveness unfolds over days and weeks and and months. It's like a grieving process. Uh, forgiveness doesn't always include reconciliation. And reconciliation is, the, is a separate process. It's the reestablishment of a trusting relationship uh, with the offender. That's not always possible or safe or wise. And so uh, forgiveness does not always include reconciliation. And, and forgiveness is a decision we can make unilaterally. We don't need two people to do that without conditions whether or not the offender requests it. Some folks say, well, I'll forgive him when he approaches me and asks for forgiveness. No, that's not, what, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, you, Jesus says, you forgive. You take the initiative and, and you forgive. You make the decision to forgive without any expectation that our forgiveness will be reciprocated or even appreciated. Have you ever gone to forgive somebody and they gave you a bad time over it? Or I mean, to ask for forgiveness and they gave you a bad time over it? Yeah, well, sometimes that happens, you know. Um, everybody likes to be thought of as a servant. Nobody likes to be treated like a servant, right? That's, that's the way it works. But sometimes that happens. What forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a decision to give up the right for vengeance and retribution and negative thoughts toward the offender in order to be obedient to God's command. Forgiveness is choosing, choosing to treat the person who hurt us as someone of worth because they're a person that, created, that God created in his image. Uh, forgiveness is a gift of grace that we give to another person because it reflects God's grace that was given to us. And then forgiveness frees us from the debilitating effects of anger and resentment and bitterness. It allows us to experience God's healing and his joy and his peace and his blessing. And finally, uh, forgiveness sets the stage for reconciliation and a renewed emotional connection. We can come back together again um, when we reconcile, if we forgive each other. It, allows, it, it uh, allows that close connection when that is appropriate and, uh, and God-honoring. <clears throat> and sometimes it, it, it's irrelevant. You know, if you have a tiff with somebody driving down the freeway and they make a gesture that points you to heaven, uh, as I like to think of it, <laughs> then uh, you, know, you can forgive that person unilaterally uh, but you, you don't have to reconcile with that, with that person. There, there's no relationship going forward, so it's not necessary to do that. But in our close relationships with, with uh, our, our partners in a marriage or, or with our family members, people at work, people at church, it, it is important that we reconcile. 
Everett Worthington, the Christian psychologist that I mentioned earlier, uh, makes a distinction between forgiveness we make as a decision and forgiveness that is emotional forgiveness. Um, and, and Worthington is not a stranger to forgiveness. He, he's not only a, an academician, a professor, a researcher in the area of forgiveness and a counselor um, to, uh, to individuals and couples, but uh, he, he's lived it. <clears throat> His mother was, uh, was brutally murdered in a burglary in 1995. And one of the books I have back there, uh, he talks through the process of forgiveness. His journey toward forgiving the two young men who killed his mother in that, in that brutal crime. But uh, Worthington says, decisional forgiveness is a decision. You can decide to act differently toward a person who hurt you, to stop pursuing revenge, to forgo the desire to keep the offender on the hook, to make the offender pay, to punish the offender, or to see him or her suffer. Instead, you can treat that person as one who has dignity and worth. Decisional uh, forgiveness, folks, is what God commands us to do when someone hurts us, and our decision to forgive represents obedience to God in, in that situation. But it, it's not enough by itself, is it? Sometimes we make the decision to forgive, but, but we still have those feelings of anger and resentment. Worthington goes on to say, but regardless of how forgiveness, forgiveness is begun, healing forgiveness will not occur until a person's emotions change. There's an emotional component Decisional forgiveness, releasing people from the debt incurred by a transgression is important. And it can occur any point in forgiving, but it does not in itself mean that we have forgiven from the heart. Here's the other shoe. Uh, he talks about emotional forgiveness. He says, emotional forgiveness is the emotional replacement of negative, unforgiving emotions by positive, other-oriented emotions. It replaces resentment, Bitterness, hostility, hatred, anger, and fear with empathy, sympathy, compassion, or love for the offender. You see, emotional forgiveness, that piece of it, is a work of God in our hearts that the Holy Spirit accomplishes over time once we choose to be obedient by making the, by making the decision to, to forgive. Uh, once more with uh, Worthington, he says, emotional forgiveness is emotional replacement of unforgiveness with forgiving emotions. Those changed emotions are connected with changed motivations. Those motivations can lead to decisional forgiveness or decisional forgiveness can change the motivations. There's no prescribed order. Sometimes, uh, don't you find, in uh, relationships with people um, where there's an opportunity for forgiveness, sometimes God changes our heart and uh, we start to feel differently toward that person and so we make a decision to forgive. And other times, we just recognize God prompts us that you, you need to forgive that person, and then the emotions come after, right? The emotional forgiveness comes after. It can work either way. The point is that, that decisional and emotional forgiveness work together to create forgiveness from the heart. That's what Jesus is talking about in this story. Once more with uh, Worthington, he says, decisional forgiveness promises not to act in revenge or avoidance, but it doesn't necessarily make a person feel less unforgiving. Emotional forgiveness is the emotional juxtaposition. I had somebody uh, collar me on that word after the last service. They said, I, hey, I, th I thought there was a, a three-syllable limit on words here. And, and, and uh, juxtaposition just means holding things up side by side to observe the effect. That's all in, in this case. 
So uh, the emotional juxtaposition of positive other-oriented emotions against the negative unforgiveness. You see, holding them up side by side to observe the effect. Those positive emotions first neutralize unforgiveness and eventually, if things work well, replace unforgiveness with a sincere agape love. Agape is the Greek word for the love that God has for all men. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. That's, that's agape love. And that's what he puts in our hearts uh, toward people that we need to forgive. A friend uh, recently shared me an example that's right on, uh, shared with me an example that's right on point. He said he, he recently had a painful conflict with uh, some other Christians. And, and afterwards, he did his part to approach them and apologize and, and ask for their forgiveness. In other words, he took action to, to exercise that digital, digital decisional forgiveness. But he, he knew that there was more. And so he took Jesus' command seriously in, uh, in Luke 6. He began to pray for them. Jesus said in Luke 6, 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. He, and he said, Gary, I, I started to, to pray for God's blessing on those people who had hurt me out of obedience. And he, and he said, God replaced my anger with positive feelings toward them so that I, I found that I, I wanted the best for them. I, I wanted God to bless them. I think there's a principle here. The principle is that, that when we act in obedience by making the decision to forgive, then God works in our hearts to create the emotional forgiveness and replaces that unforgiveness with compassion and, and love and, and uh, empathy toward those who hurt us. Well, uh, how do we receive given forgiveness? Uh, how do we give and receive forgiveness in a, in a practical way? I, I find uh, uh, in working with folks that sometimes this is not part of our vocabulary and, uh, and we have to learn the, the words and the tools. I, I um, talk with folks about uh, using their words, you know, in, in, in order to navigate issues in their relationships. Uh, six steps for seeking forgiveness. And I've included an example of what, that, what each one sounds like uh, with each of these steps. First of all, admit that what you, you did was wrong or hurtful. That's a huge obstacle for some of us. It's very hard to admit that we're wrong or, or that we need forgiveness. <clears throat> but it sounds like this. I realized that what I did was wrong and I hurt you. There you go. That, it's as simple as that. And then try to understand or empathize with the pain that you've caused. Um, tell me how that made you feel when, when I did that. Um, and then reflect that back. You know, okay, I understand that it made you anxious, it made you fearful, it made you angry. Um, <clears throat> it made you feel unloved when I treated you like that. Yeah, that's right. You see, your partner wants to be understood. They want their feelings to be understood. Then validate those feelings. You know, when they say, when they say, uh, when they say those things, when they tell you how they feel, then say, well, yeah, when you explain it like that, I can understand why what I did would make you feel uh, angry and anxious and unloved and humiliated and, and all those things. That's validating. That's telling them they're not crazy for thinking that. <clears throat> Here's what not to do. Uh, don't begin with, yeah, but you said, or yeah, but if you hadn't, you know, all that stuff, it ju just gets you right back into that crazy cycle of uh, conflict again. It's listen, reflect back, validate, and uh, <clears throat> don't rationalize or defend. Step three, take responsibility for your actions. Make restitution if necessary. Um, it sounds like this is my fault. I understand that. I'd like to make it up to you. Tell me how I can do that. And then assure your partner you'll not do it again. <clears throat> Simply, I will never do this again. 
It's as simple as that. You see, it's not, a, it's not enough to apologize repeatedly for bad behavior that has continued. An apology does, just doesn't cut it. Um, we, can, we have to stop the behavior. We have to walk the talk. An apology does not make up for bad behavior. And uh, words are weapons, as I said before. They wound. They do damage. An apology will not necessarily heal that, that damage. We need to stop what we're doing. Apologize and ask for forgiveness. It sounds like, I'm so sorry I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? That sentence is never spoken in so many households and between, in so many relationships. For some reason, we can't, be, we, we can't get to, to the place where we can say, I'm so sorry I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? We need to be able to say that. And then forgive yourself. We know God forgives, but sometimes we can't extend that same grace and forgiveness to each other, can we? A young friend I spoke with yesterday on the telephone uh, talked about the difficulty of forgiving herself. She said she finally recognized that the feelings of unworthiness and self-condemnation that she had were not from God uh, because he'd, he'd forgiven her completely. And yes, I reminded her of Romans 8.1 that the, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God has forgiven us completely, past, present, and future. Um, and, and he loves us completely. But she says that she recognized that uh, Satan is the accuser. And he's the one that's trying to keep her in a place of defeat and self-condemnation. Uh, but God desires her to know the freedom and the peace that comes from knowing he's forgiven us completely and that he loves us unconditionally. That's a given. And then six, six steps for, for granting forgiveness. First of all, acknowledge your pain and and anger. You know it's okay to be angry sometime. I talked with a, a wife not long ago uh, whose uh, husband had uh, left her and, and she, she was acknowledging feelings of anger. I said, that's okay. Uh, you're supposed to be angry about that. that. That's normal. That's a legitimate feeling. Don't apologize for that. Allow yourself to feel disrespected. Uh, um, and it sounds like this. You know, you really hurt me when you said or, or did whatever it was. I, I felt angry humiliated, ashamed by your actions. Talk about what you're feeling. Be specific about your future expectations and limits. Uh, it was wrong to criticize and humiliate me in front of our friends. I do not want you to do that to me ever again. That's setting limits on, on what your relationship looks like. And then give up your right to get even. That's decisional forgiveness. But, but insist on being treated better in the future. Choose not to retaliate but describe the appropriate, the appropriate treatment that you respect. Uh, for example, I expect you to treat me with respect and courtesy, whether we're at home or whether we're with our family and, and friends. That's my expectation for the future. Uh, then step four, let go of blame and resentment and negativity toward your partner. <clears throat> As you make the decision to forgive, ask, ask God to replace your anger with empathy uh, love and compassion for your partner. You know, uh, we do what we can do on a human level. There are things that we can learn. There is knowledge and skill that go into being re that go into being effective in our relationships. But there is also a component that God can do. So we do what we can do, and then we ask God to do what only He can do, and that is change hearts, right? Change hearts and and attitudes. Uh, here's the process of here's here's what the process of of forgiveness, <clears throat> working through that look like for one wife 
Shanti Feldhahn uh, talks about it in Surprising Secrets. This is what, what one wife reported as to how it worked out in her relationship. She said, I also saw what God really asks. Forgive. Lay aside your pride. I realized I ha had to make a conscious decision to forgive. There was a day I just wanted to leave, but he wanted me to come back inside. He was holding out a mug of coffee and reaching out and taking it was a struggle, but because of my faith, I knew it was the right thing to do. Now, I did have to see in him that he was willing to change and get himself right too, which over time he was. <clears throat> but the next time I was furious and just wanted to stomp away, I looked at that coffee mug and, and went to get it and then held it out to him and he took it. And we started talking. Now we just pantomime holding out the coffee mug and the other person reaches out to take it. That's how we started the rebuilding. It wasn't easy. On my side, it was a struggle, but now I wouldn't trade it for anything. You see, we have to reach out in humility and ask for forgiveness and ask to receive forgiveness. That's our part. Communicate your act of forgiveness to your partner. Sounds like, I forgive you for hurting me. I love you. I want our relationship to be loving and close. I'll do whatever I can to make that true for us. And then work toward reconciliation when that's safe. Reconciliation is about rebuilding trust in a relationship so that relationship can move forward on a basis of uh, mutual trust. And, and that takes two people. It isn't unilateral, it's bilateral. Uh, both of us have to work on that. Uh, when, when it's a relationship that, that uh, you're going to need to be a part of for the future, then reconciliation is important there. Let me close with uh, a story of forgiveness. You know, I love history. And, uh, <clears throat> and this particular example comes out of World War II. Jacob DeShazer was a World War II pilot in the Army Air Corps whose, whose plane was shot down over Japan. In a Japanese prisoner of war camp, a, a guard abused him. But one day a Bible was smuggled in and circulated among the prisoners, and Jacob read Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He empathized with the guard. He forgave him and he prayed for him. And when the guard later hurt Jacob's foot, uh, Jacob prayed blessings on that guard. In so doing, Jacob showed love. After he was repatriated back to the United States, he, he returned to Japan, started a Christian mission to minister to the Japanese people. There was a pilot, another pilot, a Japanese pilot, Mitsuo Fuchida had led the air attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And he was overwhelmed and feeling shame and dishonor at being charged in a war crimes trial after the war, and, and he was contemplating suicide, when in the midst of his emotional upheaval, someone handed him a tract. What a coincidence, huh? Someone handed him a tract, inviting him to Jacob DeShazer's Christian mission. Fuchida was especially touched by, wait for it, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Which DeShazer had found so transformative. Fuchida met Jesus Christ as his Savior on April 14, 1950. And for the next 26 years until his death in 1976, he traveled and wrote and preached about the forgiving Father that had changed his life by forgiving his sin. 
Friends, uh, what God is looking for in us is God's grace and forgiveness reflected in our lives as his children as the antidote to the poisonous anger and bitterness and resentment and despair that we see all around us today. Let's go out into the world and, and do what Jesus asked us to do. That is, for, forgive like those who have been forgiven. Let's pray. Your Father, we thank you for uh, your great example of grace and forgiveness uh, for a debt that we could never repay. We thank you for the great gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that, that you equip and empower us uh, to live out the same kind of grace and forgiveness to the people that uh, you bring into our network, into our orbit of relationships. And we ask that uh, our lives would be so distinctive in that way that people would be drawn to Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we ask all this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for your time today. Have a great week.